Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome to or welcome back Gardening Naturally. Um, Still a hot one today. And unfortunately, it's probably going to still be a hot one tomorrow, 100 or above. But the break is coming. The increase in rain and the lowering temperatures, it's within sight. After this last summer, it was just brutal, brutal weather. And we're finally looking at the possibility of getting out of it. Can't happen fast enough. Um, It's to the point where Who's going outside? It has been just way, way too hot for me. Walking from my home to my mailbox and back into the house, I usually wind up dripping from this heat. That's a 75 feet one way. Uh, I'm, I'm not intentionally going outside unless I absolutely have to. And so far, there have been rare occasions to absolutely have to go outside. Hopefully, hopefully, that's going to end really soon. And then we can go out there. And before you think, oh, now I can go outside, let me go out and do X, Y, and Z. No, 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 no. First thing you want, we want some rain. We want to see the status, what condition our existing plants are in. Because you want to be careful. Why? What's the old saying? Don't administer medicine to the dead. You may have plants that kind of look like maybe they're making it and we get a little rain and they, oh, don't, you know, I'm, I'm fine. Really, I, I, I'm feeling great. And they put on a green leaf and they faked you out and they're not going to make it or they're not a good choice in the first place. Um, they may have damage that's going to take a little bit to show. Same with the freeze. Remember freeze apocalypse? It took a while to really understand what kind of damage did we get. So many trees, so many trees gone. It is terrible. Someone's texted me a question that we should be looking at, and it's, uh, is it a difference to put out seeds right now, as in wildflower seeds or bluebonnet seeds? No, there isn't a difference. It's a good time to put out any of the wildflower seeds. Now, some of them won't come up at all until spring. You may get some to show up before the first frost. 
but you get them out now to allow them to establish themselves, set some decent roots so that they can come up later, do their bloom thing, and leave all of their own seeds. That way you'll have them year after year after year. So you can put those seeds out now. Well, not today. Maybe next weekend. With rains coming, that'll germinate the seeds. The temperatures will be cooler. The plants will react much better. And you can possibly get a good wildflower meadow established for a great show next spring. If you haven't planted your blue bonnet seeds, you kind of need to get with it. You need them to make their showing um, so that they can bloom next year and leave seeds for you for the next year. So you have a constantly expanding field of blue bonnet. Well, the same thing happens with our um, wildflower meadows. Blue bonnets aren't the only thing that show up. Gallardias, um, phloxes, all kinds of gorgeous native flowers. They have their season. One shows up before the other. But if you leave them, they should reseed themselves on their own. They'll be able to do that work for you so you don't have to worry about it. And every year you'll get a better and better display. Now here's another great question. Because of the drought, will there be a big acorn drop? I don't know that there's a direct relationship between the two. Because on years that we've had decent water, we've met our water requirements, um, I've seen acorns drop in such a way you can't see the grass anymore. It's like walking on, you know, ball bearings. There are so many out there. And I've seen dry years where the same thing happens. I think it is very much dependent on the type of oak that you have and its health. It's it's another one of those guessing games. There's no, oh, okay, uh, this much drought, this much temperature, this kind of oak tree, they'll drop this many acorns. It's not quite how it works. I think the conditions have been horrid and that the trees, if they had a choice, would try to drop a lot of, uh, a lot of acorns as a survival tactic. Plants' only purpose is to reproduce, to make seed. Whether that seed is an acorn or a sunflower seed or a super tiny carrot seed, that's all a plant is supposed to do. Reproduce and make seeds. And depending on the condition is how hard they work or don't work to get it done. It would be nice to get a very good 
a very even drop. <clears throat> I know folks aren't happy with it. Uh, I know that all those acorns falling are always a pain. And gosh forbid you got yourself a bur oak, which has golf ball-sized acorns. Never park your car underneath a bur oak that still has acorns on it. They could all decide to fall and just pound your car. That's their way of doing things. They make this great big acorn. It's actually kind of attractive. But... Um, hurts if it hits you in the head, can damage some car, break some windshield if you're parked underneath them. So you have to be careful about that. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I'm up against a break. I'll catch you on the other side. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Welcome back, everybody. There's uh, that's kind of interesting thing about the acorn drop. I, I've seen years where you can't see the grass. There are so many acorns that there's just no bare ground. It's full of these acorns. And you kind of are wondering, yo, squirrels, what are you doing? You taking a break? Because normally, especially with my bur oak, I don't get many of those to hit the ground. Somebody comes and steals them. Then I'm assuming it's the local squirrels. Um, it is not a requirement for an oak tree to have a regular acorn production period. There are trees that may have acorns every year for a while. There are trees that, oh, they have a boatload of acorns this year and they may go several years without producing much of anything. It has to do with the tree's environment. How was the tree grown? How was it brought up? Things like that. So uh, that is the bigger factor. Our weather obviously affected all of our trees, including the oaks. So it should have, or it may have, I should say, it may have a... Uh, beneficial effect or detrimental effect to the acorn production. Many of our other trees have had a hard time. Um, I have an anacacho orchid. I absolutely love it when it's in bloom. And the thing about it is it'll bloom for a month, sometimes more. And it's a sweet smelling, pretty white bloom really, really nice feature of the tree. Drought tolerant, it's a good understory. Uh, mine was growing under a Monterey oak for years and never slowed it down. They are good understory trees if you've got a spot 
where you've got shrubs or you've got trees and you want just something a little more, they are not plants that are full shade. They still need a little bit of sun, but they can handle a lot of shade. So good choices and good spots in your yard. Folks, let's go to the phone. This is Robert. Robert, what can I help you with? Uh, I have a question about liquid molasses. We have a jar that we're not going to use. How can I use that in the garden? One ounce of molasses per gallon of water. And then, I, don't have anything, I don't have anything in the garden right now. Can I just pour it on the soil to replenish uh, the microbes or whatever? You can, but word of warning, if you don't have anything in there now and you are not watering regularly to keep moisture in that soil, don't do this until we start getting rain. Okay. Because, because that way, when we get rain, the microbes that are there will be able to pick up the molasses and they'll start multiplying and that will really build up that soil. But if you haven't been watering or you are not going to water, don't put that molasses in there until we start getting rain and we start getting out of this drought period. All right. Just one ounce per gallon, you said. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you very much. You bet. Good luck. Yeah, folks, um, you can buy horticultural molasses. You can get a dry bag of it. You can get uh, it full of granules. You can get liquid molasses by the gallon. Or you can go to the grocery store and pick up grandma's blackstrap molasses and use it in a pinch. It's the same stuff. It's the same principle. You're adding sugar, carbohydrates, to the soil for all those little critters to multiply. That's good. That's good. You do not need some special kind of molasses, though the convenience of the dry molasses is great because you can just walk along and sprinkle that and cover lots of ground and let the first rain soak it in. And it adds organic matter. But if you've got flower pots or maybe a, uh, a, a small garden, a jar of blackstrap molasses will be just fine for what's going on there. Ooh, this is a good question. Um, hadn't seen one yet. And we haven't got many dog vomit mushroom questions because it's been so dry. But here it goes. Someone texted me and said they fluffed up their mulch. That's a good thing to do once in a while. The mulch will get compacted and it can interfere with the water absorption. So you take a rake and you kind of rake through the mulch and it fluffs it up, makes it twice as thick as it was, but it's got lots of little pockets in it now. So water still flows through and the mulch still covers the ground to keep it cooler. But they were saying as they were fluffing it, they find this mold I'm imagining kind of a cloudy white color. That is 100% natural. You have to remember, 
mulch gets decomposed just like any other organic material. So when your mulch is laying out there and you water through it, you have provided a place for these molds. You have provided water for them and the mulch becomes food. And some of these molds, the, the use of the term mold is not a bad thing. These molds are trying to break down your mulch. This is why it needs to be replaced or re refurbished, I guess, every once in a while because it will slowly break down and the organic matter will go into the soil. That's a good thing. But when you're going through your mulch and you see that white striation, you see the white spider webs, that's what some of them look like, that's natural. That is a positive sign. That means you have a good, vital, um, microbial activity going on. Molds, they're microbial activity. You got to remember, not all molds are bad. Two of the very, very important molds make cheese and beer. Well, I don't know about you, but that's quite the combination. It's okay to see that in your mulch, and you will see sometimes turning your mulch. You will see that. That's just nature breaking things down for you, turning that organic matter into smaller and smaller and smaller pieces. So if you do your little fluffing of your mulch to make it thicker, to make it more absorbent, uh, to make it work better, and you see this, don't sweat it. That is a good thing. If you're turning your compost pile and you find layers of white fuzz or what looks like spider webs, that is a good thing. That's that same fungus taking over and breaking down the material. That's part of the composting process. Oh, somebody did make a note. Yeah, many of our molds, without our molds, we wouldn't have many of our antibiotics. So uh, believe it or not, even in your mulch and compost piles, you are producing a type of antibiotic that's helping keep the good guys alive and get rid of the bad guys. Lots going on when we're talking about organic matter breaking down. Lots and lots of good things. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We need to take a break for the news. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512 836 0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Wow, Jeff, thanks for that text. I just got a text from someone who said that while they were uh, moving some scraps in their compost pile, they found the big rhino grubs. These are not those little white C-shaped, uh, almost looks like a worm. These are the big honking grubs. 
they wind up making the rhinoceros beetle, which is always a good thing. And the rhinoceros beetles uh, help decompose things, break down big pieces of matter into small. They look very cool. So if you see these super-sized grubs, don't kill them. They are, leave them in your compost. They are not hurting a thing. And they're going to become those rhinoceros beetles. And uh, they are beneficial. So we don't need to worry about them. Let's go to the phone. This is Paula. Paula, what can I help you with? Hey, good morning, Jeff. How are you? Um, oh, I, still I, tired, I it's hot. What's that? I'm still tired. It's hot. Yeah, I know. I, I texted a picture uh, yesterday, and I I don't think I missed your answer, but I may have, but I don't think, about a citronella or scented geranium plant that I have. It's in the original pot. Um, I bought it, and it's probably a 12-inch across, uh, maybe a little bigger. And it just, it's huge. It's great. But the, the stalks of it are just coming over and sort of collapsing. And I know, obviously, I need to replant it. My question is, um, when I'm replanting it, should I take those stalks that have started collapsing and uh, re-root them or just cut the whole thing back also? I guess I'm, I'm kind of repeat that's two, the same thing. Anyway. <laughs> Either or. Okay. Okay. Because if you cut um, them off, you can try to repot them. Many What's the best way on are, those to, to re, uh, re-root them? In water or in, in soil? You can try them in water. Uh, uh-huh. Citronellas are a form of um, geranium. Right. So you can cut the really long stalks off, stick them in some water, and wash them until they set some roots, and now you got more citronella. Yeah, Okay. Um, okay, I just I thought that was the case, but uh, I just thought I'd verify with the master. <laughs> uh, not, not I. I'm not a real good cuttings guy. I know how easy it is, and I know how I can get all kinds of goodies. And uh, just by making a cutting, it's just not my kind of thing there. So don't do it often. Yeah. Well, I'll give it a shot, but it, it's just growing like a weed. I mean, so I hope I get some other, other plants. All right. Well, thanks so much. You have a great Sunday. You too. Thanks for the call. Yeah, folks, many of our plants are simply a uh, cut them, stick them in some water, and ta-da, they'll make, they'll make uh, roots. I don't think they do the ta-da part, but they do make roots. Let's go to the phones. This is Bo. Bo, what can I help you with? Yeah, Jeff, uh, I got some viburnum bushes. I got them on a drip system. I went away for two weeks. When I came back, I had a dead gum leak, and they're not looking good at all. Some of them, one of them turned brown, Uh, and the others are looking pretty bad. Should I strip the dead leaves off of there or just leave them on there? Uh, no, you can wait. Um, let it rain. The, the act of rain itself 
will knock off dead leaves. So nature's going to help you clean that up a little bit. And it's less work on your part. Um, if you can't stand the look of it, too bad. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to sit out there in this heat and start plucking one leaf at a time. And if you're going to do that, you really need to snip them off, not yank them off. Because if you snip them, you'll still have the old leaf bud and it should produce a new leaf. But once a little rain shows up, they'll get their acts together because they've gone too long without water. But they'll get their act together. And um, as the plant starts growing again, it's going to recognize what's a bad leaf and what's a good one. And the bad leaf is going to literally cut off from the rest of the plant to make it real easy for the leaf to fall off. Wind, rain, drives those leaves off of there. Um, nature will take care of it on its own. Okay. And I gave them a real good uh, soaking in seaweed and has to grow. Is that the right thing to do? You wouldn't have needed the has to grow. The seaweed, without a doubt. You didn't hurt them because there is some seaweed in has to grow. You didn't hurt them, but you really didn't need the has to grow. Okay. And and some of them, uh, some of the branches are they're dead. I mean, they just snap right off. Should I leave those on there too, or should I trim those off? Does it hinder the well, you, recovery? You can do trimming those off when it's not 102 degrees outside. Okay. So it doesn't hinder the plant from rebounding the dead? Nope. The dead. Okay. It will... We, we always want to remove dead from a plant, okay. but we don't have to do it the second we find it. And you don't need to be out there in 100-degree weather snipping into a, uh, a viburnum that's going to be slapping you in the face and cutting your skin and things like that. When the weather is decent enough that you want to be outside, you can look at trimming those plants. Okay. And I fixed my leak. Should I give it some additional watering in the beginning here or just go back on my schedule every three days? Go back on your schedule. Don't, don't we're give it probably any. Having, nope, we're probably going to have rain within a week. So your regular schedule will be fine and you don't have to worry about drowning the plant. Okay. All righty, Jeff. Thank you. Yes, sir. Um, Let's go to the phone. This is Bob. Bob, what can I help you with? Yes, good morning, Jeff. How are you doing today? Still hot, and I'm tired of it. I understand. Hey, I've got a large agave, about 18 inches tall, that is turning yellow on the outer edges and the tips. And I'm wondering whether I'm watering too little or too much. I would think it would be on the too much category rather than the too little category. If you're watering it all, that would eliminate the yellowing. If you're watering too much, that may be something that's starting to show up. I have a Queen Vic agave. It's beautiful. It's, it's been perfect during this weather 
because we only occasionally give it a very small amount of water. In the spring, when it was raining much more often, it got more than it needed. And I wasn't going to go out there with a little umbrella or anything, but you could tell the difference between right amount of water and too much water based on the leaf colors. So back off on the watering, I had been watering once a week, but it didn't look like it was enough. Uh, it's an agave. It should be a very drought tolerant plant. Once a week was probably fine. Um, you could probably go once every couple of weeks. Okay, I'll give it a try. Thank you very much. Thanks for the call, Bob. Uh, Denise, I see you there. Can you hang on? I have to take a break right now. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let's go to the phone. This is Denise. Denise, what can I help you with? Hi. I have a koi pond, and I use a biofilter, so there's lots of waste fish, uh, fish waste in there. And yep. when I clean it out, I end up like with three or four gallons, perhaps, because it's, it's very large, um, of fish waste. And I want to know if I can dilute that and water the plant. Is it good for it? Should I just throw it in the compost pile instead? Is there anything beneficial from that? Lots of beneficial in it. It tends to be a high nitrogen waste product. That means you will get more out of it. If you already have a compost pile, just add this stuff to the compost and turn it. It will help the compost break down much faster and you'll wind up with more organic matter than just the fish waste by itself. Now, I never had a pond that big, but I used to have a fish tank. Whenever I cleaned the tank, it wound up rinsing all the waste into a single bucket, and I would then take that bucket and go outside and pour it on my compost, or I could pour it directly on my plants. You have a rather large amount. I was only talking about a gallon or two of liquid, um, so that wouldn't be a big deal. You could use that fish waste directly. I would be a little concerned that it's hot, too high in nitrogen to use like that. It might burn some plants, but you can definitely put it in your compost pile and stir it in there, and it will help your compost break down to become that really crumbly stuff that you're looking for. Okay, perfect answer. I really appreciate your help. Well, thanks for the call, Denise. Um, yeah, folks. Fish waste, if you have a fish tank, non-salt water fish tank, when you clean it, all of that waste material can go right out in your garden. Use it inside, uh, use it in your compost. If it's a small quantity, you can dilute it by, let's say, half and pour it on your plants. I would pour it on the soil, not on the plants themselves. 
and it will be a fertilizer. You can use it that way. Let's go to the phone. This is John. John, what can I help you with? Good morning. Um, hi, uh, just a question about Japanese boxwoods and a quick comment on the fish waste thing. Uh, I had several fish tanks. I was cleaning them, and I was uh, dumping the dirty water on some lilies of the Nile plants my ex-wife had. And this was kind of all winter long, and that next spring, they just exploded in stalks and blooms. They really loved that. So fish waste is good. <laughs> yes, very um, good. And then the question about Japanese boxwoods. I've uh, been in this house about 33 years. There's a, a, a long, long rows of Japanese boxwoods in the backyard. And they've been tough as nails through all these years, the ice apocalypse and freeze apocalypse and everything else. They, they came through with flying colors. Um, this year, with this heat and drought, even though I've been watering them, my, my uh, washing machine water dumps directly on a bunch of them. Uh, they're still, for the first time ever, showing real stress. They're getting brown and, um, well, just a brownish tinge to them, like they're half dead. Um, I assume that'll kind of straighten out or resolve once we start getting some rain and cooler weather. My real question is about transplanting them. They're old. They were fully mature when we moved here 33 years ago. Uh, fully grown, fully mature. So they're maybe, I don't know, 40, 50 years old. But I would like to transplant them. They've been good, good bushes, but I got plans for the backyard and I need to move them. Are they transplantable at that age? If so, what precautions should be taken? Yes and no. The problem is going to be you want to dig up as much root as you can. Don't forget, a cubic foot of soil weighs about 70 pounds, give or take. And you have a lot of plant you got to move. So you're talking some serious work to get them out of the ground to move them to someplace else. Obviously, you don't want to do it in this heat. But once we're cooled off, yes, you can transplant them. Ones that are that old, man, you're not going to believe how big the roots are. They are really huge. The fact that you need that space, otherwise I would tell you, mow them down, go buy new ones. But they're so established, they've done so well, it's your choice on the labor. They can be transplanted. It is going to be a lot of work. Okay. Okay. Are, are they and yeah. the Japanese boxwood considered invasive? Uh, these are they don't spread. They don't cause me any trouble. Uh, they grow slowly. They're they're really good bushes, kind of evergreen. But are they considered invasive, or are they a native? Not native, not invasive. It's not like Nandina, which is a curse. But the boxwoods, um, you've been kind of lucky to have ones do well that long. They tend to get um, a little tip disease to them, and you wind up having to cut them back and cut them back and cut out a branch and wait for it to grow back. They can be a little maintenance heavy. 
but obviously they've done really well for you. So. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Really enjoy your show and look forward to every Saturday and Sunday morning. Well, thank you for that, John. Um, okay, let's try to get to the phone quick here. Carrie, what can I help you with? I was just wondering when we would need to put onion seeds in the ground, given how now. hot it was. It sets up now, <laughs> even with this heat. Do you, okay. you know the variety that's called 10? 15? No, but I bet I can find it. Well, it's called that. Part of that reason is because you plant the seeds October 15th. Ah. So we're probably a month away. In this heat, it would definitely be a problem. But if you wanted to start them inside, you could do it now. Outside... We're going to be in cooler weather before we do it. And that's that 10-15 date. That is okay. a good guide as to when you would plant onion seeds. Okay. And then I started a lot of seeds, but they've been you know, in containers, but they're outside still, and they're not sprouting. Do I need to bring them inside? Because it's Has, it been hot, more than 10 days? Has it been more than 10 days since you planted them? Yes. Oh, yeah. You may want to check them because most seeds were germinated within 10 days. Okay. Well, they're they're seed packets from, you know, reusing things, so it it could be that they're just not working. Old possible. Carrie, thank you much for the call. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I will talk to you all again next Saturday at 9.